0: joining me for another episode. My name is Stefan Van Norden and this is Nature Revisited. On this episode, we have invited Carol David to share her thoughts and concerns about the American prairie. Carol, who grew up in Missouri, is the director of the Missouri Prairie Foundation and the editor of the Missouri Prairie Journal. Carol has been working in the conservation and environmental fields for more than 20 years, and is part of a growing effort all across the Midwest that is trying to preserve what is left of the original prairie. A movement that is also trying to restore native plant habitats and to reduce the human impact. I grew up in New England, where the landscape is mostly trees, and I never gave much thought the Midwest in terms of its ecology, natural wonders, or importance. Even after driving cross country a number of times, I mostly considered the prairie an open, vast, barren landscape. But the more I talk with people, the more I realize that like me, most of us are not really familiar with or fully understand just how incredibly important the American prairie is. And that the American prairie, which stretches from Wisconsin to Texas, is rapidly disappearing.
1: I would like to start with a little bit about you. Can you share a bit of your background, where you were born and raised, and what led you to nature growing up, and then what made you such a strong advocate for the prairie?
2: Well, I was really lucky. I grew up in a house on the grounds of a nature reserve, Shaw Nature Reserve in Gray Summit, Missouri. This is a satellite facility of the Missouri Botanical Garden in St. Louis. Shaw Nature Reserve is about 40 miles from the city of St. Louis. And every morning after I woke up, I looked out the window and everything I could see to the horizon was the nature reserve. And the remarkable thing about it was that I didn't take it for granted, which I think would have been easy to do. I knew that my childhood was unusual and I knew that I was fortunate that not everybody had this experience. And so this childhood really you know, it did it did help shape my career in that I felt like others should have same kinds of opportunities to experience nature as I did. But there are Other layers of experience here that I thought about later in life that shaped my outlook and kind of brought me to where I am today. I spent hours outside in unsupervised play, and I think it's very important for children to have this kind of interaction with nature, to lie on the ground and watch insects walking up tree bark, or to sleep with windows open and hear the katydids at night. Probably I learned most of all from my husband, Mike Leahy, who's a natural community ecologist, I learned to look at the landscape in terms of specific natural community types. And this helped me learn that specific plants and animals occur in specific habitats. I've also learned about, and I continue to learn a lot about nature, from my 14-year-old son. He has extremely keen observation skills, and he notices things, especially about insects, reptiles, fish, that I would have never learned if not for him. And I continue to learn more. I think, again, if a person is attuned to nature, that person will never be bored in life. And hiking, bird watching, botanizing, hunting, fishing, native gardening, these are all ways to study nature and to continue to learn more. And being a parent and letting your kids run wild in nature or in the yard or even a vacant lot with a few weeds growing, that's going to teach you a lot.
1: So what led you to be such an advocate for the prairie?
2: Well, again, this is kind of, you know, I kind of um, look back at kind of multi-layers of how I moved in this direction, and and again, as I mentioned, I grew up on a house on the grounds of Shaw Nature Reserve, and and there my parents were involved in establishing a prairie planting from a former old field pasture that had been converted in the past probably from an open woodland, and so Prairie plantings are not original prairies just like planting different kinds of cacti is not going to give you a desert people can never recreate a specific habitat in all of its you know ecological complexity but you can take a, a crop field or you know some other kind of area that has been converted in the past to some other kind of you know non-native vegetation and and seed it with prairie plant seeds. Um, and the one that my dad was involved with is, is now 40 years old, this, this year in 2020. But growing up, this planting was not very interesting to me. It was a sea of plants without any element that I could really focus on. But then when I was a teenager, a famous photographer named Ernst Haas, he came and created photographs of the, of the prairie planting. And his photos... And kind of framed specific aspects of the prairie and helped me see it in a new way. And as a teenager, I also worked there at the reserve and I, I helped uh, my parents plant small pl- plants called plugs into the into the prairie planting. I helped collect seeds to propagate, you know, small plants. I tagged along with my parents and I saw prairie plants growing in the greenhouse, waiting to be planted. My parents led hikes to the prairie for the general public. They organized picnic suppers so people could see the prairie at sunset. They taught people about textures of prairie plants, fragrances of different plants. And so they were really innovative in helping people develop an appreciation for this kind of landscape. And so by the time I left for college, I had cultivated an aesthetic sense that I could appreciate prairie. But of course, there's still a lot that I didn't know and I would learn more as I got, got older. And then fast forward to the present, to my career as the Executive Director of the Missouri Prairie Foundation, and Prairie is meaningful to me in many ways that are really quite profound to me. And working for this 54-year-old land trust with its board members and staff, volunteers, financial supporters, witnessing their commitment and love of Prairie adds yet another dimension to my experience. And This is a landscape that is incredibly rich in biodiversity, but it's been nearly obliterated from North America. It's a landscape that's not immediately aesthetically accessible to many people, just like it wasn't to me immediately as a young person. It can look just like, quote, a bunch of grass. If you don't have the opportunity to really walk out in it, have someone, you know, guide you in person or in photographs. And if you don't, realize there are many different kinds of prairie. And if you, you know, if you can't experience it in all these seasons, and so you really, it's really in that way, you know, not a readily sort of accessible landscape in terms of, you know, what we're maybe used to thinking is beautiful. For many early Euro-American settlers, prairie was quite daunting. It was often something to get through, to get to somewhere else. It was something to be converted, to be plowed, to be tamed. And, you know, imagine in some parts of the tallgrass Prairie region in Central North America, a person on horseback wouldn't have been able to see over the the top of the grass. And this is a landscape that stretched in some places for hundreds of square miles. And so, you know, that is daunting. And in this way, it is a challenging landscape physically and culturally. And what I mean by that is Our culture has a history of being challenged by it in many ways. And I think this aspect of it appeals to me, I guess, because I like challenges. And prairie is nearly gone. And so the urgency to save it is compelling to me. But to elaborate just a bit more, I can tell you this, that prairie is two incredible things at once if you're out in a prairie looking at it. It is at once a landscape that is wide open, a place to see the whole sky. But it is also, if you look down into the vegetation, it's full of infinite detail. With all the hundreds of plant species that can occur even in a 40-acre original prairie, it's all the insects, all the songs and calls of grassland birds and spider webs. So this aesthetic contrast between this wide open landscape and all this detail is really bracing and it's wonderful. And the rarity of it makes it all the more precious. There are plant and animal species like grass pink orchids and crayfish frogs and regal fritillary butterflies that in Missouri are dependent upon original unplowed prairie and may disappear from the planet if we don't save what original prairie is left. And it's incredibly beautiful. Think about how incredible these prairies are and how much people who visit them and see photos of them how much they love them and and what we could have lost if we hadn't saved these specific prairies. I think it really takes being able to get out in prairie. If you started out in April, you're going to see low growing wildflowers that are really prominent because they can be because the grasses haven't really taken off yet as they will like in May and June. So this is the time when these, a lot of these spring wildflowers are really showy. You have red, orange, Indian paintbrush, you have pink shooting stars, purple prairie hyacinth, orange cocoon, and and many other flowers. Then in May and early June, you've got pale purple coneflowers, golden alexanders, blue prairie larkspur, masses of pink wild bergamot, and, and of course, you've got the really lush grasses growing. In July, you've got magenta blazing stars. And then into um, August, really through October, you have all kinds of prairie sunflowers and asters and goldenrods. This past weekend, so late September, I was hiking on an original prairie in northern Missouri, and I saw blue and purple gentians blooming down in the grass. So I think part of the sort of delight of prairie is, is anticipating these waves of wildflowers that are going to be coming with each season. And it's also that, that you have to look to find things you know, look into the grass and find things. And I think that adds to kind of the delight of the whole experience. The plants are beautiful, but they're also beautiful insects, like migrating monarchs flying, especially in in late summer, early fall. It's the fact that you're seeing things that are beautiful and you're seeing changes throughout the whole year, which adds to the kind of complexity of the beauty of the landscape. But again, prairie isn't just beautiful and it isn't just biologically diverse. It is those things, but it also provides really important benefits to people. It has deep, rich soil and, and in most cases, very deep roots that store tremendous amounts of carbon and that helps mitigate the negative effects of climate change. Prairies are pollinator reservoirs. There are many pollinating insects that. Uh, use prairie habitat and prairie plants, and they also pollinate many of our food crops. So prairies really are about food security for people too. And prairie roots form these really vast networks, and they f- they absorb and filter rainwater, and that helps protect streams and helps prevent flooding. So prairie is really a multi-dimensional, multi-purpose landscape. You know, if we think about it just in terms of utility to people. That It's a landscape that provides vitally important services to people, but the positive impact of these services has really been undercut because so much of it has been lost. So, you know, with prairie you have an extremely rare, very beautiful, diverse landscape that also provides vital services that help make life on earth possible for people. And I think it would be hard to not find this landscape compelling. And so it's all of those reasons that really – have led me to this point in my career where I am uh, very fortunate to work to protect these authentic landscapes that are left.
1: Describe the American prairie geographically and ecologically, its diversity and kind of how it was shaped and what are some of the regional differences
2: so in its most basic definition, prairie is a landscape dominated by non-woody plants. These are many species of grasses and sedges and many different kinds of wildflowers, some shrubs and some isolated trees. Modern prairie, is a, as we think about it today, developed about 8,000 years ago, but it's really millions of years in the making. For example, there's evidence of grasses being in North America 57 million years ago. So there are many climatic changes, many different things happening that that led us to the point where 8,000 years ago prairie developed as we might think about it today. Prairie is just one type of native grassland. The word prairie is French for meadow, and it's the word that French explorers used to describe the grasslands that they encountered in Central North America. Prairie stretched from central southern Canada to Texas and to Mexico, east from the Rocky Mountains through the Midwest, and in varying degrees to the Atlantic coast and to the southeast, as well as westward from the Rockies to the Pacific coast. There are also grasslands in Washington State through the Plains State. There are distinct natural communities like shortgrass prairie. But then these habitats merge into others, such as short grass prairie kind of merges into sagebrush in the west. What all of these prairies and native grassland types have in common is that non-woody plants are the dominant plants. But there are so many differences in plant and animal composition among prairies and other native grasslands, and that's due to rainfall, soil type, soil moisture, climate. Human history with prairie dates you know, 10 to 8,000 years ago. And of course there could be other grassland types earlier than 8,000 years ago, but looking, you know, 10, about 10,000 years ago, there are native American cultures living on and with prairies and really shaping the landscape, not just in central North America, but throughout the continent that they were colonizing. Native Americans maintain tall grass prairie, through their cultural use of fire for the past 5,000 years or so. Really an interplay of climate and human use of fire created the mosaic of prairie communities on the Midwestern landscape. Over these thousands of years of of prairie being on the landscape, of, you know, prairies we think of today, all of those thousands of years, these deep-rooted prairie plants are growing and decaying, that their roots are growing and decaying. And that, led prairie soils to become incredibly rich and deep, in fact, some of the richest and most productive soils on the planet. And so because of these soils, prairie led the United States to become the agricultural powerhouse that it is today and really a foundational resource in the development of the nation. After John Deere's invention of the self-cleaning steel plow in 1837, the eventual conversion of much of the prairie to agricultural production began. And the agricultural productivity, thanks to prairie soil, really led to the economic expansion of the country during the 19th century, and it continues to influence the nation's economy. Agricultural products are one of the few large commodities still being made in the U.S. today, and, and a number of those are due to rich soils, due to prairie roots. and today the agricultural economy is still a major cultural and political force in the Midwest and in other parts of the United States but the link between economy and prairie and prairie soils is really not common knowledge among many Americans but I will say today we are seeing an interest in native plants for landscaping wildlife and pollinators that that interest is growing and I hope that with increased knowledge of a you know native plant and prairie constituency, that will translate into more prairie plantings on landscape protection of the original prairie remnants that we still have, and even changes to federal and state agricultural policies that will benefit native grassland conservation.
1: Why is the prairie so incredibly important?
2: You know, prairie is beautiful. It is biologically diverse, and I think that there are some real – reasons why those things matter. They matter to to us culturally. They matter to us sort of spiritually. I think it's important to preserve things that people cannot create. I think that uh, preserving natural authenticity is something that we as humans inherently need. Beyond that, prairie provides extremely important real, tangible benefits to people. Really rich soils and deep roots store tremendous amounts of carbon. That's helping mitigate negative effects of climate change. Prairies are pollinator reservoirs. Many of the pollinating insects that benefit from prairie habitat and prairie plants, they also pollinate our food crops. So prairies really, in a sense, are about food security for people because we depend on those pollinating insects many of which, you know, many that are on prairies also pollinate our food crops. And then we have these vast networks of prairie roots that are absorbing and filtering rainwater. Um, That's protecting streams, helps prevent flooding. Prairie is really this, you know, multidimensional, purpose landscape that's providing really important services to people. We've lost so much of that. We've changed the landscape so much and we've changed the water holding capacity of the land. The original prairie we have left is a tiny fraction of what we had, those original prairies are authentic, and, and we need to save examples of authenticity.
1: So what are your greatest concerns that you have about the future of the prairie, and what are the, the threats that it faces?
2: Well, about 240 million acres across North America, I believe, were, were native grassland communities. And this number has been greatly reduced. For example, in Missouri, we had 15 million acres of prairie. Today, we have fewer than 60,000 scattered, original, unplowed acres. And we've converted, even before statehood in 1821 through, you know, about 1950, but it's still continuing today. Conversion of prairie and other habitats to row crops for, you know, transportation corridors, schools, you know, housing where we live, neighborhoods, places where we work, do business, The demand for corn and soybeans has obliterated virtually all prairie in Illinois, but Missouri and other states are not far behind. Last year, for example, we saw a freshly plowed original prairie. And a month ago, I learned of another original prairie whose topsoil had been removed, probably for landscaping and a housing development. And just yesterday, I learned of a landowner of a rare sand prairie in southeastern Missouri that's going to be sold to a developer. So We have ongoing land uh, conversion due to a number of different economic drivers. Other threats in the Midwest and the Southeast uh, is suppression of fire. Uh, Prairie evolved with fire, but of course, when people are living on the landscape, we want to be careful with fire and, and suppress it. But when we do suppress fire altogether, in many areas, native grasslands, prairies will be overcome by woody species and native biodiversity overall will decrease. Climate change is shifting species composition and it's a factor in woody species out-competing non-woody species on prairies. So there are a number of threats, but I'd say underlying all of this is the biggest threat of all, which is public apathy. And I think that stems from a lack of understanding or appreciation, not just of prairie, but of all habitat types of their role on the landscape. And that, in turn, I think, stems from a lack of immersion with nature.
1: I feel that I have just recently, in the last five years, become aware of what the prairie is, its importance. I kind of feel that the West Coast and the East Coast has kind of ignored the whole Midwest. I see a lot of energy coming out of the Midwest to try to save the prairie and its importance.
2: I do think that prairie in central North America has been not recognized not just by people on the coast but I think people in central North America as well. I also think though that it's not just prairie and other native grasslands in central North America that don't get the attention they deserve. I think grasslands everywhere. I mean there are coastal grasslands in in you know on the eastern seaboard that maybe people don't recognize. I think part of this has to do with the fact that grass is pretty ubiquitous, right? I mean, we have grass lawns, we have grass playing fields, we have grasses along roadways. But in most cases, that's not prairie and it's not even a native grass. If you were to drive by an original unplowed prairie, you know, you're driving by at 60 miles an hour, it might just look like a bunch of grass to somebody. So again, until you can really learn about these differences in vegetation and really get out and experience a prairie, it's, it's no wonder that people are confused. And also, prairie is is rare, so there's not a lot of prairie around to see, no matter where we are in North America. But I do think there are a growing movement in, in some areas. The Missouri Prairie Foundation, a few years ago, we established National Prairie Day on the national... Day calendar. And we did that as a way to help focus national attention to prairies and other native grasslands and really encouraging conservation groups, communities, anybody in the United States to use this day, which is the first Saturday of June, to really focus attention to the special native grasslands of, of where they live.
1: So what are some of the other programs that the Missouri Prairie Foundation are doing?
2: Well, we have an active land acquisition program. We've, um, we've been around since 1966, and we've been purchasing prairies and protecting them for uh, now 54 years. The core of our mission is acquiring original unplowed prairie and managing it, and we do that with prescribed fire, with control of invasive uh, non-native uh, plants, inventorying, surveying birds and native plants and pollinators, so that we can make sure that our management is sustaining or even enhancing that native biodiversity. We also do prairie plantings or prairie reconstructions. We also uh, run a 20-year-old program called Grow Native. This is a native plant marketing and education program. And through this program, we promote the use of native plants for all of the benefits that plants that are native to prairies and other habitats provide to us. And we also run a group called the Missouri Invasive Plant Task Force. And this is an interdisciplinary group of professionals that are working to focus attention on the problems that invasive plants cause in our state and really try to increase early detection and control of many invasive plants that can impact different aspects of our, our economy and of native biodiversity when you were talking about, you know, what what about the attention being played to prairie? And, you know, is is there a larger movement trying to restore prairie? I think that as many natural resources become more rare, and as we're witnessing the consequences of climate change, I think that there is greater attention being paid to the effects of loss of habitat and to a changing climate. I do tend to be an optimistic person, but You know, at one level, if you look, for example, at candidates for public office this year and in many years past, very, very few are calling attention to habitat loss. Some are addressing climate change and they're proposing ways to address it, and that's very important. But with environmental concerns in general, let alone specific habitat loss, they don't seem to be the focus of any political campaign that I'm aware of. So in that sense, I think a lot more work needs to be done. I think that there are examples across the country of local governments creating incentives for smart growth, to preserve land, and I think that's encouraging. And I think there are many land trusts, like my organization, the Missouri Prairie Foundation, and many federal and state wildlife agencies that are doing great work to protect land and, con- and to connect people to it. And I think work of programs like our Grow Native program that I mentioned before and work of people like Dr. Doug Talamy the entomologists, are really increasing awareness of the need to make human communities as habitable as possible to native insects, birds, and other wildlife by choosing native plants and landscaping, and many of those plants are are prairie plants. I think that the steep declines in insect populations, notably pollinating insects like native bees, Declining populations of migrating monarch butterflies. I think these are motivating positive action on the part of many Americans to plant native plants. But I also think that the demand for commodities like corn and soybeans, I see, it is continuing to convert prairie to row crops. And I don't think conversion of really rare habitat like prairie is going to change until we really think carefully about restructuring policies so that we reward the protection of original habitat and recognize the many benefits that prairie or other habitats provide to people. So I do think, I, I think there's a considerable amount of work to be done.
0: I hope you enjoyed this interview with Carol David and that you will visit the Missouri Prairie Foundation at Prairie.org to learn more about the great work that they are doing to save the American prairie. And I hope you will share Nature Revisited with friends, family, and colleagues and subscribe to Nature Revisited on your favorite podcast server. You can also follow us on Instagram, YouTube, or our website, NordenProductions.com That's Norden, N-O-O-R-D-E-N Productions.com If you would like to share your thoughts or comments, please send them to us through our website contact page, and we will share them on our Instagram page. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan van Orden and Charles Gagan, And I hope you will join us for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, remember, we are nature.